0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. I want to just ask you all a question, and that question is this. When was the last time that you had the wind knocked out of you? When was the last time that you had the wind knocked out of you? Now, while you're thinking, I will tell you the last time I remember. I was somewhere in elementary school, and I was playing soccer against a, a guy by the name of Juan Romero. Now, this is what I know about Juan Romero. He had a he was legendary in our neighborhood, and, and so legendary for his soccer ability that we used words about him like this. He had a leg like a bullwhip. Now, I don't even know what that means, but I think it meant he could kick the ball really hard, a lot harder than I could. And we were at practice one day, and Juan came around, and he kicked the ball really hard right in my stomach. And I lost all of my breath, and I gasped around. It hit me in a vulnerable spot, and it it caused me to not be able to breathe well for a little bit of time. Has that ever happened to anybody? Anybody ever had the wind knocked out of them? Uh, somebody mentioned this to me after the first service. They said, I can't believe it's been since grade school that you had the wind knocked out of you that way. Um, and I probably have blocked out all of the other experiences, but that one with one, I remember directly. When was the last time that that happened to you? Now, while you're thinking about that, I want to just suppose for a moment that in a figurative way, we all have had the wind knocked out of us much more recently. See, I'm not talking about playing soccer with Juan Romero at this point. I'm talking about having circumstances and suffering in your life that hit you in a vulnerable spot for you and cause you to really struggle to catch your bearings, struggle to to breathe spiritually. Have you ever had some of those moments? Those moments where you get that phone call and what you hear on the other end just takes your breath away. You can't believe that it's real. Those moments... Where you're waiting for the diagnosis to come back and it comes and it's not the one you had hoped for. The moment where someone shows up and lets you know that the relationship is over and the pain that you feel on the other side. When was the last time that some circumstances hit you in a sensitive spot and left you gasping for air? You know, it's happened to all of us. I think of a few instances in our life, I take you back to 2007 up at, Children's Hospital in Oklahoma City. Our son was born at 31 weeks, and uh, for the first several weeks of his life, he he lived in the NICU, and he was hooked up to all of these monitors, and day after day, those monitors kept going off, and though the staff would tell us that he was going to be okay, it's really hard to see your kid day after day after day with alarms and bells going off saying he's not eating or, or breathing properly. Um. There were moments in that process where our, our breath was just taken away from us. Or, or I'll take you to 2010 to a different hospital over at the HealthPlex here when a doctor comes in and Kimberly was in the midst of a, a, a routine outpatient surgery and the doctor said her airway has collapsed. We don't know if she's going to be able to, to, to breathe on her own or, or be able to speak. Um, we'll get back to you. A moment that breath is just taken away. Now, Now, she's okay and my son's okay, but in those moments... The air was just kicked out of us, just kicked out of us in that moment. When was the last time that some, some circumstances in your life hit you in a sensitive spot and took your spiritual breath away? All of us have had it. Well, what do we do when that happens? How do we live out our Christian life, this, this spiritual life, how do we live it out in a world that takes our breath away from time to time? Well, one possibility is for us to so minimize our real-world experience and to relegate our Christianity to just rooms like this that we see no connection between the two. You know, sometimes we think that Christianity is just something that we live out with a smile on our face, and it's just something that is surrounded by sanitized sermons and happens in rooms like this with microphones and with bands, and this is where Christianity is lived out and is totally disconnected from the health plex or totally disconnected from children's hospital. Some people try to answer the question of the spiritual life by saying it is somehow irrelevant to those situations because in those situations their spiritual breath is taken away. But here's the thing, if you have ever thought that your spiritual life, your Christian life has nothing to do with your real life, then you're greatly mistaken. Because Jesus came and died not just for Sunday morning between 11 and 12. Jesus came and died for us and God initiated with us so that he would be with us in the midst of our suffering. We saw last week as we talked about this topic of suffering how God offers encouragement to us through perspective, through a perspective shift, a perspective that reminds us that today's suffering is no match for tomorrow's glory. But what's interesting as you continue to read in Romans chapter 8 is that the encouragement that God offers to us is, is more layered. There's more to it than just a perspective shift. God does more for us and through us and in us in the midst of our suffering than we maybe have known in the past. And today we're going to look at Romans eight twenty six to 30 and find out what that is. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 8, down in verse 26. I'm going to read those verses for us, and then we'll back up and and see a couple of things this morning that will encourage us in the midst of our suffering in this life. Romans 8, in verse 26, the Apostle Paul writes and says this. He says, "'Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words.' In those whom he called, he also justified. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, in these few verses that I just read, we're going to see a couple of things of what God does for us in the midst of our suffering. The first thing that he does that we see here is this. The Spirit translates our prayers. The Spirit translates our prayers. Now, we see this in verses 26 and 27. Paul begins verse 26 with the transitional word. He says, likewise. What he means is that if we gained any, any hope, any encouragement from this perspective shift that he mentioned in the verses we looked at last week, in the same way, we should also gain some hope and some encouragement in the midst of suffering based on what the Spirit is doing in our lives. Well, what's the Spirit doing? Well, he says the Spirit is helping us in our weakness. Now, this is a statement that is true generally. We are weak people. There is a gap in every single one of us between our ability and, and what we want to do. There's a gap in every single one of us between what we actually accomplish and what we hope to accomplish. There's a gap in every single one of us, even as believers, in the obedience that we want to do and the obedience we do. There's a gap between us. because Why? Because we are weak. I'm weak. You're weak. The Apostle Paul is weak. But God knows our weakness, and God resources us with someone to help us in our weakness. And who he resources us with is not some secondary guardian angel, but he resources us with the Holy Spirit of God. He says the Spirit himself is the one who helps us in our weakness. Now, while that is a a statement which is true generally, it's also a statement which is true in one specific area. And the specific area in which it is true that that Paul is going to elaborate on here is in the area of prayer. What Paul is saying is our weakness shows up in our prayer life all the time, but also in times when we are suffering. And and just to illustrate that, let me just ask you a question. How many of you are satisfied with your prayer life? Don't raise your hands. How many of you are satisfied with your prayer life? How many of you think, you know what, I pray as, as much as I want to? As much as I feel like I should. I pray for the right things. I pray beautifully. I have this wonderful communion with God in prayer. How many of you are absolutely positively satisfied with your prayer life? If we're honest, most of us would say no, if not all of us, because there's a gap between what we we think we want to do in prayer and what we actually do. There's a gap there. We're weak in the area of prayer. It was no different for the disciples. On the night before Jesus went to the cross, what happened? Jesus said to his disciples, hey, come with me to the garden, and we're going to spend some time praying. And yet, when they went to the garden, did they spend time praying? Maybe a little bit, but what did they do more of? Sleeping. They fell asleep. Why? Because they're weak. Has that ever happened to anybody? You get to the end of the day, and you're going to have your your, your prayer time on the pillow. Has that ever happened to anybody? Dear Lord, why does that happen to us? It happens because we're weak. There's a problem that we have in our prayer life. And somehow the Spirit is going to come to our aid to help us in our weakness as it relates to our prayer. Well, what is our specific weakness in prayer that he talks about here? Well, the weakness that he talks about here is is the weakness of not knowing what we are to pray for. There's a gap in our prayer life of even knowing what to pray for as we are experiencing suffering. Has that ever happened to you? Think back to those moments where the spiritual wind is kicked out of you. And in those moments, sometimes we just don't know what to pray. We can't formulate the words. Our heart is in our throat and no words are coming out of our mouth. And the examples that I gave from my own life, in those moments, I'd love to tell you as a pastor that I prayed and waxed eloquent in those moments, but you know, it's a lot easier to pray in your hospital room than in mine. We struggle to pray in moments of our suffering. But here's what is amazing: though we don't know what to pray for in those moments. We don't know whether to pray for you ever played this game. We don't know whether to pray for, for healing or for peace. You know, what do we pray for? Is is God going to take this away, or does he want me to keep it for a while, to grow through it? We don't know what to pray in those situations. In the moments where we struggle with prayer, it says here that the Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Here's this, this beautiful picture of what the Spirit of God does for us in the moment of our suffering. As we go before the Lord in prayer, the Spirit will translate our heart to God so that he fully understands and fully knows what we're going through. What an amazing thought that God knows 100% what is going on in your heart and in your life in the midst of your time of suffering because the Spirit is interceding for us. Now, it says here that the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. That's the way the ESV translates it. And that's not a terrible translation, but I don't think it's the best. Because here is literally what this this verse says in the original language. It says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groanings. The Spirit intercedes with wordless groanings. Here's what that, that implies. It's not implying that somehow we speak new words or an angelic language or a prayer language or we speak in tongues so that God understands what we're going through. These are wordless groanings that are going on here. The Spirit is able to communicate with God the Father to reveal what's going on on the inside of us in ways that go beyond words. And we, we know what this is like because no doubt you have someone in your life that you can have a whole conversation without saying a word, can't you? If you don't, I hope you find that person at some point. There are times in life where you can just look at your spouse and and you just know what's going on. You can look at that good friend and you just just know what's going on. They they understand your context because you've spent time together, you've gone through battles together, you, you understand each other. And that's in a human life where we understand this much of what's going on, right? We still have that moment. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit who knows all things knowing the internals of our life and able to communicate those to God so that there is no gap of understanding in our prayer life. How does God know everything, whether we can articulate it or not? Because it's not up to us. We have the privilege of singing harmony in our prayer life with the Spirit, but the Spirit himself is interceding for us, communicating our heart to God's. What a blessed gift in the midst of our suffering to know that God fully understands us. Not only that, this this translation is not just so that God understands us, but look at what it says in verse 27. It says that he who searches hearts, meaning God the Father who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, the Father and the Spirit, there's perfect communication. They're within the Trinity. They understand each other. There's communication there. God fully gets it, but but here's what's powerful. As the Spirit intercedes for us, the Spirit is not bound by our lack of understanding. See, you and I might be tripped up in our prayer life sometimes when we pray because we don't know what we should pray for. We don't know if we should pray for peace or for healing or whatever, but you know what? The Spirit of God is like, I got it. You can pray for both, but guess what? The Spirit of God will, will always ask for the will of God in your life. That's a powerful thought because prayers that are offered according to the will of God come true. In in the book of 1 John, uh, for example, in chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says this, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. John was just saying what Jesus had said earlier, when you go back and look at John chapters 14 through 16, repeatedly Jesus makes similar statements to his disciples. If you pray for anything in my name, it will be granted to you. If you pray for anything according to my will, it's yours. See, that that ought to encourage us, but sometimes it discourages us because we don't know what God's will is. Friends, if we're believers in Christ, we ought to be encouraged by what we see here in Romans chapter 8 because it lets us know that the Spirit is not limited by our prayers. The Spirit is able to take what we pray and align it with God's will and intercede for us according to God's best interests at work through us. There is someone with a perfect prayer life on your behalf, and it's not me. I pray for the people of Wildwood, but my my prayers are, are not as deep and as long. I have weaknesses like you, but guess what? There is one who is praying for us even now, the Holy Spirit of God, from the inside of us, communicating to God in the midst of our life, in the midst of our suffering. What a blessing. What a privilege. Now, I say that today because that ought to encourage us and inspire us to pray. As we we think about this, knowing that the Spirit of God is at work within our hearts and lives to translate those things for us, we, we, we should not just, you know, not take advantage of that. But we have the opportunity to talk to God and, and to relate to Him and know that He fully knows us. Who doesn't want to talk to somebody who fully knows you? We gravitate in those conversations to people who have understanding. How much more so should we go to our Heavenly Father who fully knows what's going on, even in the midst of suffering? Where in your life are you carving out that space, that time for prayer? The first thing we see is that the Spirit translates our prayers. But the second thing we see in this passage is the savior commits to us full time for all time the savior commits to us full time for all time now we see this in verses 28 to 30 and it's it's laced in here in the midst of one of one of the most famous verses in the entire new testament romans 828 if you have a flip-over book in your house of Bible verses or of inspirational sayings, somewhere in that book, this verse is there, maybe a couple of times. Uh, John Stott calls this um, the, the fluffy pillow of the book of Romans. It's just it's something that offers comfort for us, Romans 8.28 does. But, but why does it offer us so much encouragement? Well, it's helpful for us before we even read it to, to recognize the context in which it comes. Sometimes we see this book in a flip-over book. We never think about it in terms of its relevance to our lives. This verse is highly relevant in the midst of a life of suffering. See, the, the, the immediate context is talking about the world gro- groaning, all creation groaning, and believers groaning as we await our redemption of our bodies, the adoption of sons. And it, it's talking about this in the, in the midst of... Uh, Difficult circumstances that takes our breath away so that we have difficulty in praying. He's not talking about this just on a Sunday with with everything looking rosy and good. He's talking about this on a Tuesday at the healthplex or on a Wednesday evening in your home when the phone call comes in. See the truth of Romans eight twenty eight is not a sanitized truth. It's a truth of great hope in the midst of suffering. What does he say? He begins with something that we know. He's getting ready to describe something that that is, is knowable as a certainty for believers. It's not something we hope. It's not something that might be. It's something that is. If we know Christ, we can grab onto the truth of 828 and believe it as firmly as we believe anything in life. There is a truth here that we can know. Well, what is it that we can know? Well, one of the things that we can know, it says here, is that God is at work. Highly important for us to see this. We can grab onto and know that God is at work. And what is God at work doing? He's at work bringing about good in the lives of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. One of the things that we can grab onto in the midst of suffering is that God is doing something in the lives of believers that is for their good. If you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, know this. No matter what is going on in your life, God is up to something. And he's up to something bringing about good in your life. Well, what else does 828 tell us? Well, it tells us that God is at work to bring about good using what? All things. Not some things, but all things. Paul wants us to know that God is not just part-time committed to us. He's not just committed to us on Sunday. He's not just committed to us when we're happy. He's not just committed to us part-time. God is committed to us in the midst of our suffering. It is a full-time commitment that he has to us, and it's demonstrated by the fact that he can take all things and work them together to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He can take all of the things, All things includes the good things. It includes the good Bible study that you've been a part of. It includes your friends that have been encouraging to you. It includes your church family. It includes that that summer at camp. It includes all of the positive things in your life that you can think of, your family, if you've got a good relationship with your family. All things includes all of those positive things. But here's what else it includes. And in light of this context, I think it's super important that we see this. All things includes the bad things, all of them. That means that all things includes the abuse that you received at the hands of parents or a friend or a leader. God can work all things together for the good. God can can use the pain and the bitterness of the rejection that you have felt in life. God can use the struggle even that you've had with sin in your life. God can can use all of those things that we see as such burdens and pains and struggles and suffering. God can use all of those things and do something good in our lives through them. Now, here's a really important clarification. Paul says here that, that God can use all things and work them together for the good of those. He doesn't say that God causes all things. That's an important distinction because there are a number of reasons why there are problems in our lives. There's Satan, there's there's sin on the inside of us, and there are sinners. We live in a sinful world. And there's even just the, the, the fallen world that is under a curse like we saw last week. There are a number of reasons why we would experience suffering. The passage doesn't say that God causes those things, but it says that God is so sovereign that when those things come into our lives... He is able to synergize them together into good for us. Now, that, that is, that's a, that's a remarkable statement because we have a lot of all things in our lives. Well, what are some of the things that God does? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 15, we see one of the things that God can do by bringing good in the midst of our struggle, and that has to do with ministry to others. Paul writes and says, "'For it is for all for your sake.'" that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, he goes through struggle and difficulty and suffering so that others might be blessed as they watch him go through it. Part of the good that can come is that God can minister to others through us. Not only that, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, Paul writes again and says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, one of the things that can happen is ministry to others, but another thing that can happen is that God's glory just shows through the cracks in our pots. God can bring about good through the the difficulty in our life because it creates a theater, a venue for his goodness to shine through, his redemption, his grace, and his love. Sometimes it results in our deliverance. Uh, We we see this in the life of Daniel. Remember Daniel? Daniel... um, praise to God, he he gets caught by the trumped-up law, they throw him into the lion's den, but when he's in the lion's den, does he get eaten? No, the mouths of the lions are shut, and he comes out the next day, and there's a mini revival that comes out on the other side. Sometimes God working together things for the good are things like that, but you know what? We also have the example of Stephen, who gave a profession of faith in Christ and stood firm and was stoned to death. In both cases, in Stephen and in Daniel's case, God was working together things for the good because he was using their lives according to his great purposes for their life. And here's the thing, friends. We can know this. We can know that no matter what our circumstances, God is going to use all of the things of our life for his good purposes. And that gives us comfort, and that gives us hope. There's no wasted stroke. It might be hard for us to grasp. It might be hard for us to see, but God is at work in us full-time, not part-time. And not only is He at work in us full-time, but He's at work in us full-time for all time. Look at what happens in verses 29 and 30. Is He you know, elaborates on this idea of living according to his purpose. What is that purpose? He's going to lay it out for us here in these two verses. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. In those two verses, there are five categories that are listed there. It talks about the foreknowledge of God, the predestination of God, the calling of God, the justification, and the glorification of believers. And what's fascinating about the progression in 29 and 30 is that the same set of people move from one end of that spectrum to the other with no one being lost. In other words, those who were foreknew, those who were predestined are the same ones who were justified and glorified. Now, when we read that, we have a lot of questions about things like predestination and foreknowledge. And I'm not going to answer your question today. Um, I'm going to ask you to come back because when we get to chapter 9 in Romans, we're going to deal with that issue directly. But in the meantime, for the purpose of of the context here, here's what's important for us. God is committed to his people for all time. Those he foreknew, foreknowledge in, in a biblical sense, a Hebrew sense of this word, is really you could also say it's loved, because those whom God knows, he loves. God says he knew Israel in the desert. It meant that he loved them in the desert, and he provided for them in the desert. He knew of Hannah's struggle, and so he gave her a child. There, there is a, an Old Testament sense of this word, know, which we could also see within it the concept of love. So before anyone had done anything good or bad, there was a love of God that was extended to people. And before anything, anyone did anything good or bad, God predestined some for salvation. And he said, these I'm going to provide a way so that they could be with me forever. It was God who took the first step towards us, not us towards him. And not only was it God who, who foreknew and predestined, but God arranged circumstances in history so that we might be called into a relationship with him. And not only would we be given the chance to be called into a relationship with him, but those who were called, who were predestined, who were foreknew, also would be justified, would be put in line with Christ, would be forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus would be draped about us so that we might be with God forever. And that would lead to this process of glorification. But there is no one who is lost anywhere down that spectrum. There is an absolute assurance of salvation for those who are in Christ, and there is no greater passage in the New Testament that helps us see that than Romans 8, 29, and 30. No one is lost from one end to the other. Pastorally, for those in Christ, that ought to encourage us. If we know Jesus, no matter what's going on in the suffering of our life, God is working within us. He's committed to us full time, but he's also committed to us for all time, meaning that there is nothing that is going to separate us from his love. That's the hope that we have. But as we end today, I, I want just, to just put this into a little bit of context uh, for those who are here who maybe are just checking out the things of Christianity. You might have been invited today by a friend. Um, you might have, have been coming for a while, but you've never placed your faith and your trust in Christ. And you know, when we start walking through Romans uh, chapters. Chapter 8, verses 26 through 30, there's part of that that's appealing to you. I know know it is. I mean, how appealing is it to know that God would fully know us? How appealing is it to know that when suffering comes, the the, the Spirit of God would would be interceding on my behalf? That's very comforting. And and to think that that there is a sovereign God who would be able to take all of the junk and all of the mess of my life and do something productive with it, that's so appealing. But, But you get to verses 29 and 30 and you start going, wait a second, wait a second. What's this foreknowledge, and what's this predestination, and what's this calling? And if you're here today, and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, and you've gotten to these verses, here's what I want to say. I believe that part of why God has me standing here right now is to call you, to call you into a relationship with Christ. And if you're here, and that call comes to us from these verses, and that's appealing to you, you're leaning into that and not away from that. You know why that is? Because God has gone in front of this conversation, and the Spirit of God is at work in your heart and in your life, bringing you to a point because He's chosen you. He has selected you. If you're leaning into this, know that God is at work in your heart right now. It's not me. It's not the music. It's not the lights. It's, it's the Holy Spirit of God at work in your, in your your in your life. And know this, if the Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life, leading you to respond to a call to salvation, know this, that began with God's love for you. He is crazy about you. He wants to be with you forever. And those he foreknew, he predestined, he called so that he might justify, offer forgiveness, absolution from our sins, all the way to the point of glorification, being with him forever. And if you're here today and you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, know this. God is calling you from this passage. And God is asking you to respond in faith. And as we do so, the Spirit is interceding in that very moment along with us so that even if we don't get the words quite right, our salvation is not based on how well we say it. Our salvation is based on the one who holds us. Let's pray to him. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship. We thank you for the opportunity to, to pray. Thank you that your spirit is at work within our hearts, filling in the gaps, communicating to you the things that go beyond our ability to express. And Father, I pray today for any who are here who have never placed their faith in Christ. Father, that today as as you are calling them from your word, Father, that you would would give them the faith to respond and to believe that Jesus is their Savior, that they might be forgiven in him. And, Father, that they would receive the blessing that the rest of us have had who have trusted in Christ in the past, the blessing of the presence of the Spirit and the fellowship with the Father and the hope of glory. Father, that they would believe even now in their seat, trusting you and the Spirit would fill in the gaps. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.